I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Hey, John Reagan is here. He is the wine director for the Union Square Hospitality Group, Danny Myers Operations in New York, where he handles a lot of the beverage service and direction. Hello, sir. Hey. Nice to see you. Great to be here. So uh, what are you up to over at the Union Square Hospitality Group? I, I, the last time I spoke with you, uh, you had yet to take on that role. What's the difference between that and, say, working the floor? Oh, well, it's uh, it's been a great experience. Been doing it, uh, moved over about a year ago now. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the learning curve is nice and steep and you get to learn all kinds of things. And I think part of the, probably the greatest thing is just working with all the different restaurants and all the great people in all the restaurants. You know, each restaurant has its own personality, its own, its own culture. And uh, it's really been great to work with the wine directors in those restaurants and get to understand that culture better and get to understand those people. So we're talking about restaurants as diverse as, say, Blue Smoke uh, to Gramercy Tavern to uh, what other uh, restaurants might people find your handiwork at? To uh, The Modern, to Mylino, North End Grill, Union Square Cafe, everyone knows, of course. Uh, and so it's really uh, all across the board, which is fantastic because, uh, you know, one afternoon you might be uptown at the Modern and, uh, you know, and then uh, later that day you might be at uh, Blue Smoke and then by the end of the day you might be at North End Grill. So you get to experience a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things going on. And it's, so it's always something different, always something fun, never boring, that's for sure. Does that kind of give you a way to engage with almost the whole spectrum of what wines are on offer because of the different clientele or the different um, price points involved or um, the different cuisine at different restaurants? You're able to kind of say, hey, you know, at this place we're going to go burgundy heavy. At this place we're going to do more. California, uh, does it really allow you to kind of, you know, as I say, wrap around the whole of the wine world? Yeah, it's been great because I'm sure, as you know, and a lot of people listening probably know, quite often you'll taste a wine and say, oh, wow, this is this is great. I'd love to do something like with this, but what am I going to do with it? Where am I going to use it? It doesn't fit with this dish. It doesn't fit with this cuisine. And that's what we do in this one four walls. And so uh, now it's been really cool is when you find something you really love, 
chances are there's some place where uh, where it makes a lot of sense. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. And being able to uh, get yourself in the mindset of things where, you know, for example, at North End Grill, writing, uh, writing that list with Jason and Mia has been a fantastic experience. It's about 100 wines instead of, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. It's 100 wines. And so each single wine on there has to really, really deliver for the cuisine and the value and and, uh, you know, in, in the glass itself. So it's really been a great experience uh, being able to dabble with all kinds of different things. Um, and, uh, yeah, usually if you find a wine you love, you can find a good home for it. What's important to you uh, beyond no fluff when you're making a, a small wine list as opposed to an encyclopedic wine list? I just asked because it feels like so many restaurants are opening up that have small wine programs. What's important to keep in mind from, a, you know, an experienced uh, point of view? Well, I think, you know, first off, I'll say, you know, writing a nice, tight, small wine list is uh, is a tough thing to do because it's really more about what's not on there than what is on there. And if you can say yes to everything, um, it, it makes an editor's job pretty easy mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I think it's a great challenge. And, you know, what's important about it? I think the important thing is to, uh, if you're only going to have 100 wines on the list, first off, I think they have to be changing all the time. Because usually a restaurant like that is the kind of restaurant where you'd love people to be coming in once or twice or three times a week, you know, and you want to get people who don't even look at the list and say, okay, what should I drink now? And you don't want to be, you know, constantly be playing the same songs for them over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be recommending the same wines over and over again. So I think first and foremost, it's important that, you know, things change all the time. I think value is really important because uh, we've all looked at those lists where there's a hundred wines on them and all of them are overpriced and you say, you know what, I'm going to have a beer instead. So I think, uh, you know, always having some great values on there, always throwing a couple things on there where the markup is just a little bit uh, out of whack, low, uh, just for the people who are really paying attention. And uh, I think that's the Danny goodness, right? I mean, it feels like across the board historically there's always been a little bit of that if not a lot yeah well we want to we want to sell wine and we want people to uh enjoy wine in the restaurants we don't want people to think twice we want people to feel like you know that uh they can close their eyes and you know point their finger at something and it's going to be a good value uh so um you know obviously those are those are important things but i think also the important thing too is is being able to make sure that uh the classics are well represented and also there's uh, interesting new and upcoming and undiscovered stuff as well. And I don't think you want to turn your back on either one of those sides of the coin because uh, you are going to, you know, there's nothing worse than someone coming in and saying, hey, I'd love a great bottle of Bordeaux. And you just say, well, we don't do that here, you know. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, here's a situation where you don't necessarily know what the clientele is going to be. I mean, you know who's in general attracted to dining with uh, Danny Meyer Restaurant. You know who lives down there or who works down there. It's very busy at lunch. I've seen myself. Um, but you don't necessarily know until you open the door who's who's coming through. So uh, do you sort of put equal emphasis on classics and kind of uh, more hipster to, you know, for lack of a better word, stuff in the beginning and then see where people gravitate towards? Or how do you go about it? Because it seems like there's such a divide now between people who never drink the classics and people who only drink the classics. And there's not a lot of uh, cross fertilization between the two camps. At least I don't see a lot. Right, right. Well, there's definitely some truth to that. I think that, and that's the one thing that once you've set up that, uh, you know, perfect storm of creating a new restaurant and, uh, you know, Obviously, Danny knows this better than anyone. Then, then you open the doors and you have to listen to what people are telling you on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you have to really be ready to say, okay, 
I thought this wine would work. It just doesn't make sense here. People aren't using it in the way I thought they would. Or this wine by the glass, you know, we need X instead of Y. And so you really have to be open to that. And you can't sit there and hold on to this idea of uh, something that doesn't exist in reality. So you have to be ready to change and and be ready to uh, evolve as the restaurant evolves and how and evolve towards how people want to use the restaurant. You know, going back to that question of the, of the you know, classic wines versus the quote-unquote hipster wines, you know, I think that's uh, important too. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think we find great pleasure in, especially, you know, just talking about it at North End Grill, is, uh, is finding great pockets of wines, you know, in quote-unquote the classics. California Cabernet, you know, for example. We're having a great time with getting older vintage California Cabernet. That's a great value. And people drinking those older wines and realizing how great they can be. Um, and they're not expensive. You know, they don't have to be expensive. And so when you see that sort of thing, it's, uh, you know, that's where that line does blur, right? Because, you know, you take an example of California Cabernet and you say, well, who who really drinks that anymore? Well, a lot of people do. Uh, but our challenge is, is to give them a really good example of it. Uh, so, so you see that, uh, you see a lot of that, uh, you know, it's not, not necessarily just the black and the white, and we have a lot of fun with that. You know, one of the things that's interesting about that example in particular is that, you know, what I saw uh, uh, earlier a few years ago is that older California Cabernet had been abandoned by its own audience. The people who drank California Cabernet drank younger uh, California Cabernet, and they uh, sort of had to be reminded, I think, often that the older stuff was really drinking well, especially right now. Maybe because for years uh, they they had said that some of the new things were, you know, the critical voices had said that the new things were the better method. So one of the things I often wonder, having never worked uh, in a Danny restaurant, you know, I've read the book. We all have our idea of 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 how great the service is. I've seen the service to be wonderful. I've seen it to be welcoming. Uh, at a host of different restaurants, including uh, North End Grill. But where is the line uh, for leading customer taste in that environment uh, while pers- while providing a sense of comfort and welcome? Where where do you see the part that allows, or if it does allow, for that level of instruction or bringing people along? Or where, where do we sort of uh, cull that, line earlier and is there a difference between that environment and and others that you know we think of as good restaurants in the city that's that's a great question and that's something that uh that you have to try to get right every single day you know and i think it's that uh it's that uh welcome if you will and once people feel at home once people feel um you know to borrow the phrase once people feel like you're on their side uh then uh you know, all kinds of things are possible. And I'm sure you've been to these restaurants. I've been to these restaurants. and Everyone has. And if you don't really feel like the, the restaurant is looking out for your best interest, uh, you're not going to take any of their consult. You're not going to ask about their favorites or what they're into or this, that, or the other thing. You're going to be, you're going to be fending for yourself, if you will. And so I think first and foremost is, you know, is getting across the, um, getting across the impression that you're on their side. And the only way to do that is to truly be on their side. You know, you can't fake that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There's, there's no faking that. So, um, but I think once, you know, once that, uh, you know, uh, level is achieved, then, you know, people are naturally curious. People want to, people, you know, want to try something somewhat familiar, but maybe a little bit new. And so, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to sit there and rec- recommend uh, Latvian uh Shiraz to everybody that walks in the door. Uh, but, you know, 
to use to use that example that we've been going with, uh, California Cabernet, that's something really familiar. So usually, uh, you know, a variation on that theme, people are usually pretty open to it. So let me ask you, you've worked for Danny for a while now, uh, you know, and, and through some different environments, some some big changes, some things, some accolades, uh, some probably, I would imagine, tough moments. Um, the thing that I see that Danny, uh, that doesn't work in those restaurants is cynicism. Uh, it's, it seems to be escorted to the door on the part of the staff. Um, how do you prevent from being cynical and how do you, uh, remember to have hope that the customer will be curious? How do you remind yourself? Are there certain things that you do or certain things that really, uh, as you once said to me, fill your tank on keeping the, uh, the most positive view of the clientele as possible coming through the door or do I just have this wrong? No, I think uh, hopefully you have it right. I think, uh, you know, it's, it, it is. In the restaurants, it's all about the culture. And, uh, you know, that culture can be, can be the thing that absolutely keeps uh, a restaurant on course. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's great times or, or, or tough times, you know, going through the, everything that we've been going through this week with the weather and everything, that's a perfect example of it. And uh, there's, there's nothing better than walking into one of those restaurants and seeing everybody banded together there to do one thing, and that's to make everybody feel good. Um, that starts with each other, and uh, then it spreads out to the guests. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I think I think once you have a strong culture like that, it doesn't really allow for too many people that don't that don't feel the same way. That don't. It's self supporting. It's self supporting, and and people do. They go there to get their their gas tanks filled, and and uh, and I think hopefully you want to surround yourself with the kind of people that uh, you know are uh, that understand that they might get uh, ten or twelve tables at night, and. If one of them is really great and really into what they're doing, it's going to keep them coming back the next day. So, you know, one of the things that's changed with your new role or, you know, the role that you've settled into over a little bit of time now is uh, that you're much more of a mentor, I think, uh, to other wine directors. Whereas before, maybe you were really mentoring your uh, more direct staff at one restaurant. Now you're um, helping people who are actually assuming wine director responsibilities what are you looking for in those people and what are you trying to bring out from them? One of the things that I've always admired about you is your focus, uh, your drive, and your um, kind of ability to pull that off in a suave package. Um, <laughs> is that something that you want to find somebody else or are you looking for someone to be a little different than you? Um, what, what works for you? You know, the great thing is, is that when all the, uh, when all the beverage directors from all the restaurants all get together and we all sit around the same table and, uh, you know, you, you, you talk and you chat about what's going on and you realize there's different personalities at every seat at that table. And that's a great thing. That's a really awesome thing. And, uh, you know, you want every restaurant to feel different, to be different. Um, so, you know, for me, it's been a great experience to, uh, you know, get to work with all of these great professionals, whether it be Juliet or Liz or Aaron or Jason, uh, you know, all of these guys, um, it's been a great experience. And the thing about it is, is you realize that, that no one knows better what works for their restaurants than they do. And, uh, quite often it's just that, uh, a big part of the job is just that information sharing and, uh, helping them build the team around them. 
because I think for me, one of the really important things is is that uh, is that it is going back to that idea of culture. You know, you want to have a, a beverage culture in all of these restaurants, whether it's whether it's beer at Blue Smoke or bourbon at Blue Smoke or wine at Mylino or wh- whatever it might be. Uh, you want to have this beverage culture, and that stems out of you know one person always starts it. It always takes one really passionate person, but inevitably it it takes a whole group of people to really uh, to really create that tide, if you will. So so uh, helping to encourage that, giving that a little bit, giving that a little bit of a of a nudge is uh, is one of the things I get a lot of pleasure out of. Yeah. How does that work out? Like specifically, what what how does that really play out in real examples? Well, I think one thing is is that uh, you know one of the things that you see that's really great in the restaurants is when uh, the idea of knowing about beverage again, whether it be whether it be bourbon or cocktails or beer or wine, and the idea of the understanding of that and the knowledge of that becomes a cool thing. Becomes a cool thing, you know. When when knowing, uh, you know, being able to uh, really talk about the culture of that wine by the glass and the you know, the crazy part of the world that it comes from and what they had to do in order to make it, you know, taste so great, uh, just on a very base level like that, when understanding that, you know, becomes a very cool thing, whether you're a, a pastry cook or a manager or uh, at the front door or on the floor. And no matter what position you are there, where they, where they say, wow, okay, I learned something today. And, you know, rather than just coming in, doing your job, and going home, you go home with a sense of a little bit more of an understanding, whether it's more understanding about scallops or cheese or Chablis or whatever it might be. I think that, you know, at least for me, that gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, you want to come back and and learn more. So I think at a very base level, there's that. Um, And then at a little bit of a higher level, you know, people that really want to be a part of things, you know, getting tasting groups together, getting study groups together, um, we do a lot of education at the at, at the home office, you know, the the office for the restaurant, uh, for all the restaurants. Uh, and so we've done, you know, beer classes and wine classes, you know, many many wine classes, which is great. You know, they really really have been well received, and and uh, so that's been a lot of fun too. And just seeing how many people will go out of their way to be a part of that is is really fantastic. Is that a double edged program that really allows for scalability? Um, because if you're welcoming a broad swath of people. Of which you require little, but uh, a, a really willingness to not only do the job, but to find the job very cool, uh, to be in a good mood, and to want to learn more. Um, so, in other words, they could be low skill, but have the right attitude. Then, combined with a culture that reinforces that it is cool to learn and then gives them the tools to do so, is that what allows Danny Meyer, Unisquare Hospitality Group? Uh, you to open up several restaurants and different venues rather than saying, you know what, we really need you to do it like this and we need you to learn exactly what this is and then we need you to replicate it here is is uh, the kind of, are you allowing for a broader applicant pool and then sort of allowing for more regional differences to play out when you're, doesn't sound like much, but in Battery Park City as opposed to uh, Gramercy where maybe the local culture is a little different. Yeah, absolutely. What works in uh, Battery Park versus what works in uh, in Union Square versus what works uptown at the Modern, all three very different examples. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's so true. You, uh, A, 
if you have expectations of the staff to really be jazzed and uh, always be excited to be there, you have to give them a reason for that. You know, it's not a one-way street. Oh, I see. You, you can't know. just say, like, hey, it's all on you. Go <laughs> you be can't jazzed. Just, you can't say, hey, without be, playing some be music. excited today. You yeah. Know? yeah, exactly. And uh, you can it, – it doesn't work that way. So you, yelling you gotta, at people for not smiling is the wrong, <laughs> wrong way to go about it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that might work for a day or two, but I think it falls Smile, apart. Smile, asshole! <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we found that doesn't really work. Uh, <laughs> but if you can, uh, if you can give people something to learn every day, something to be excited about every day, something to feel like uh, that we all are generally getting better at what we do, moving forward, learning something, then I think it 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 it's a natural evolution that people are going to feel more of a sense of community. I mean, people who learn together look out for each other, you know. And uh, so I think I think it all it all makes sense. And then to follow that up, to go to your latter point, you know, that idea of, you know, the the dream is, and the beautiful thing is when uh, we do open up a new restaurant, is to be able to look at uh, look at the existing restaurants and say, well, this guy's ready to do that, and she's ready to do this, and, oh, we've just been waiting for a chance to let her, you know, this person spread their wings and do they that. They can really flourish over there. Yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, so much of it is, is the culture. Once you know that they're a fit and that, and that they try hard and love to show up to work excited and all that, you know, everything else falls into place pretty quickly. You know, you can, you can teach somebody how to do inventory pretty easily. Right, right. <laughs> well, maybe not me. I, just, I, I was missing Some a of few, us are allergic, uh, yeah, yeah. But No, I just, uh, I was, you know, I don't know. I have a, 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 a problem with Excel spreadsheets and actually entering them correctly, not because <laughs> I don't try. But, yeah. Well, it never does really add up, <laughs> you know, just right. But you get, you get the idea. Once you know that, that culturally and attitude-wise, attitude-wise, someone is a really great fit, uh, the rest of the stuff falls into place. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really does. So it's more about attitude and giving people the avenues to get there yeah. rather than uh, demanding a certain thing without either of those two. And there's nothing worse than someone doing something and not understanding why they're doing it. To oh, just be okay. doing it because, you know, they were told to or... Uh, I used to feel that way about show plates. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just really couldn't figure out why we had them. You know, why they were used. I couldn't figure out why they were used. And they're on the table, and then as soon as someone orders something, you take them away. Yeah, it just seemed like a lot of extra work. It just seemed like a lot of extra work. I just never really got it. I mean, I understand that it is a show. And just think how much more wine you could have in the cellar. Yeah, I just... If you didn't spend all your money on show plates. (laughs) We could polish some glasses with that time. I don't know. I don't know. I just (laughs) It was just an example for me where I never understood the the actual reasoning behind it. I I don't know. Maybe because I'm a dummy. I I think the name, show plates... Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're doomed from the beginning, right? (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, you know, can't we just put a piece of paper there? I don't know. Whatever. It's silly. But anyways, it always stood out. Now, you don't see a lot of show plates anymore. I always wondered if maybe that's because, you know, they don't make a lot of sense in reality. But uh, so... Let me ask you, you know, has has leaving the super high-end kind of four-star environment, working more behind the scenes, but maybe working in different lists and uh, changed your palate at all? Are you drinking new things? I mean, you always seem like a real wine guy to me. Uh, at least that's when I when I read your list, I, I see somebody who really likes good wine, or at least what I think of as good wine, so maybe we share a palate. But have you have you found yourself drinking new things these days or things that eh, you, caught you by surprise? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that hopefully that's happening uh, all the time, no matter, uh, you know, new job or old job or this, that or the other thing. Hope, 
somebody who really loves wine is always looking for, uh, you know, that, that producer that they don't know or that appellation that they've never seen just to, uh, just to keep your world getting a little bit bigger all the time. But, um, I think having your, uh, being able to have a hand in uh, so many different restaurants and being able to play around with the guys that are immersed in those spots has been uh, has been so fantastic because you learn about this producer from this person and you learn about this appellation from this guy. And at the end of the day, uh, the one thing that I've learned is I'm really just the jack of all trades, you know, because you've got the guys at Blue Smoke that understand bourbon in a way that nobody else does. You've got Liz at Mylino that lives, eats, and breathes Italian wine. You know, uh, you've got Juliet who you've you've talked to that uh, that knows the ins and outs of all these you know esoteric things that most people don't understand. So it's been really great to be able to have all of those uh, all of those people and be able to learn a little something from them. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think that any of my passions have changed. I still love all the wines that I've loved, but your world definitely does get a little bit bigger, which is great. One of the things I've seen happen, and it hasn't happened with your group, uh, just historically, is that restaurant groups get to a certain size. Uh, they have a few restaurants now. They decide maybe it's good to have someone in a more overarching role, uh, but there's already sommeliers in place at those restaurants or wine directors in place. And uh, maybe it doesn't happen the first day, but over a fairly short order period of time, uh, the people who were previously the sommeliers or wine directors at a restaurant quit because they don't like having the oversight of uh, the person above them. How do you know, as someone uh, who is in that role now, recently assumed it, how do you know when to back off and trust your own team? Well, yeah, you've you the beautiful thing about uh, the whole understanding with our company is I think one you know in talking to Danny, you know in understanding all the restaurants, the whole idea of the job is to preserve the um, uniqueness, if you will, is of that all, the key of all of the restaurants, and um, and doing whatever you can to uh, to keep that uniqueness, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, not to speak for everybody, but um, I think everyone's of the same mindset that we'll give up a little bit of economy of scale or, uh, you know, trying to shave a number here, there, or the other to keep that uniqueness because that uniqueness is what's going to keep people coming into the restaurants at the end of the day. Um, and you want you want Union Square to feel like Union Square. You want Mylino to feel like Mylino. Gramercy has an identity that is absolutely unmistakable. And um, with some of the newer restaurants, you know, they have to develop that as well. And uh, so I think a, a big part of that is uh, is um, developing that uh, and preserving, protecting that sense of uniqueness. So, um, you know, the job is not about, uh, the job is not about, uh, you know, saving a percentage point or, uh, you know, economies of scale. It's, uh, it's really about um, preserving that uniqueness. And as we said before, when you walk into a restaurant, you have to see a whole group of people there that are passionate about the food, wine, coffee, pastry, whatever it might be that they're serving there. So uh, that can't that can't and shouldn't be done uh, from offsite, you know, or phoned in, or you know, by satellite feed, you know, uh, absolutely not. So really, at the end of the day. Um, you know, my job, I think, is to, uh, at least my definition of it, is to uh, help preserve that uniqueness in each one of the restaurants. Uh, is education a big p component of what you're doing? And if so, how is it playing out today? 
uh, I think education is uh, probably the biggest part of what, uh, as far as what uh, I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, just because uh, I think that um, without the education, you're not going to have, you know, those aha moments, you're not going to have that excitement in the restaurants. And uh, you obviously want to create a culture and an environment that uh, really, really takes care of people who want to learn more, uh, who are hungry to learn more, who are curious, you know. And uh, so part of creating that culture is delivering on that promise of, you know, giving lots of avenues for learning, you know, whether it be tasting or wine classes or whatever it might be. So that's a big part of uh, of what we do uh, Obviously, on you know, on many different levels, whether it be at the home office or in each restaurant, whether it be formally or informally, and I think you know, hopefully, uh, you know, my hope would be that whoever works at a Union Square restaurant um, feels like that they had a really great learning experience. Say there were to be a class, uh, you know, that were given for a large group of people for Union Square or the hospitality group in general. What would you start as in terms of a framework? I mean, how how might you approach wine as a subject? What what is important uh, to get out of the way as basics? Well, you know, it's it's funny that you ask that because right now we're in the middle of a you know we do a ten week wine class that we do for uh you know for all of the restaurants you know internally, and uh, and and we have done that you know for ten years now, and uh, you know trying to make that better and better every year and make it more useful and more inviting and more. Uh, exciting, uh, you try to reinvent it every time. And so you say, okay, how are we going to teach this class? What's the most important thing about that? And and so I think the one thing that I've learned is we have this beautiful, there's this beautiful commonality of all the people that are in the room, whether they might be hostesses or cooks or pastry chefs or baristas or servers or managers, uh, they all are in the restaurant business. And so I think that gives us a great competitive advantage that we can teach those classes with that in mind. You know, what's the most important thing about this wine? What do we need to understand about this culture in general? Why does this make sense with this type of food? You know, and you can talk about it in a really specific way, which I think is fantastic. You know, how would you explain this to someone at Table 42 later tonight? Um and let's get rid of all the fluff and the this and the that, and let's talk about what the wine really tastes like. And uh, so I think that's the important thing is finding that point of view, isolating that, and understanding that all of the people in that room have a great commonality, which is a, which is a pretty awesome advantage. As you've come up through your career, have there been things that were just more difficult than you expected as you've uh, been a wine professional, as you've uh, worked in different restaurants on different coasts, as you've uh, tackled big subjects uh, and tried to learn more about them? Have there been things that you're just like, wow, I just, that was tough. Sure. Yeah. I mean, gosh, so many. I mean, I, I think, you know, one thing I've learned about myself is I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn guy in a lot of ways. Is that so, true? Yeah. So, um, I think that, you no, know, give it back to me <laughs> is that, you know, if something, if something doesn't make sense right away, you keep on trying to understand it. If you don't, is that have, true? if you don't have success with something right away, you know, you keep, you know, you keep trying and, uh, you know, keep, keep working hard and keep, keep tweaking things and, and trying to get things uh, in tune with, you know, the note that you're trying to strike. Um, gosh, what's been tough for me? You know, I think, uh, you know, what's been tough for me has been, uh, you know, understanding, uh, you know, really understanding the role of wine in a restaurant and uh, how it can, uh, how it can um, help, at, you know, at, at every level, you know, on a, on a very, you know, 
trying to trying to get the tone right in a restaurant for somebody who's really into wine, but then also make that feel good to the person who uh, just wants uh, a glass of uh, a rosé, you know, and uh, trying to strike that that chord, I think is always is always tough. That's an ongoing thing. Um, obviously, trying to get pe- people as excited about wine as you are is is an exciting uh, challenge as well. Um, and uh, and then obviously, you know, as far as as far as some of the learning things, you know, outside of the restaurant, you know, just learning about certain regions that uh, that uh, maybe you've never been to, or they all, you know, they seem. Uh, they don't necessarily seem unique in a way, you know, memorizing all the regions in Australia, you know, for example, that's tough. That's tough. But, um, but, you know, there's something good about it because it would be really easy to just write off Australia and just say, well, I don't think I like those wines. But the more you learn about it, the more you learn that there are some good things happening there. And that's just one example. So have there been key people, uh, either within the Unisquare Hospitality Group or uh, preceding that, that really stood out uh, for you? Man, maybe not just fully as mentors, but things that they brought to your table that you you took from. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, there have been a lot of a lot of great people in our organization that uh, that I've learned a lot from. Um, you know, the great thing about that company is is that uh, you know whenever you hit a whenever you hit a, a stumbling block or a wall or you know, don't see a, a, an answer to something. You can always bounce it off people, and you're gonna get you're gonna get the right answer. So that's fantastic, um, and that's what I think what keeps uh, keeps one of the reasons why people uh, show up with so much enthusiasm because they know they're working with a great p- group of people, uh, whether it be in the restaurants specifically or at the home office or just in the big picture. Now, when talking about wine in specific. Uh, you know, I've been uh, really lucky to uh, have a lot of great friends and mentors uh, in New York and prior to New York uh, and, um, and great restaurateurs, you know, along the way um, uh, that I think I've learned a ton from. And obviously one of the great things, one of the great things is about New York now is I think that there's a really great, healthy wine culture, people that really do want to learn. There's not a whole lot of pretense about it. And uh, so, you know, I've I've been lucky to be in a group with uh, Laura Manick and Yannick Benjamin and oh, sure. Michelle Couvreau and and uh, Risto and 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 those guys for years, and that's been awesome. I mean, so many times where you you know you're you're fed up, you want to throw in the towel, and uh, and Yannick kicks your ass and says you're not done yet. Yeah, so, exactly. That's a great thing. That's a great feeling. It's great to have people looking out for you that way, and uh, great to have people reminding you uh, of your goals. Uh, even when you want to forget about them. <laughs> What's next for uh, what you're trying to do uh, beyond the educational component that you might be expanding? If the if if everything works out and ten years from now you turn around and say, "Yeah, that that was what I wanted," what would that look like? Uh, I mean, that's that's a huge question. Um, but I think the one thing that I know would be true is that you know, if in ten years from now you could look back and. Uh, you could see uh, a great wine culture in New York um, through, uh, obviously, hopefully in all of our restaurants, but also just throughout. I think that would be the great thing. Um, uh, that would be the thing that um, that I think would uh, would make you say, wow, we've done, and when I say we, I mean New York on the whole, has done some great work here. You know, um, I think that would, that would be the, the, the grandest goal. You're somebody who has worked in different uh, venues around the country. What do you think the real advantages of uh, are 
to someone who's coming to New York who may has not been here before, uh, may not know it, and and what might they f- soon find themselves drinking here as opposed to other places? <laughs> well, you know, in coming from uh, California to New York, you know, one of the things that was just amazing about that is that um, you know all of these wines that you would read about in California uh, that never really made it out there, or maybe you'd see a stray bottle here, there, or the other spot, uh, you can track down in New York. Um, and so that's been a great experience to just be able to uh, get access to a lot more things. Um, you know, the other thing that I think has been great about New York is that, uh, you know, the restaurant culture in New York is great. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic thing, and it's, and it's a real profession. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand uh, the amount of uh, real restaurant professionals that are in New York that are really dedicated to the craft. What's that landscape really look like today? Uh, as far as in New York, um, I, I think, you know, I think there's a, there's, uh, as far as just wine specific, there's a whole crop of people that are, are really doing great work. Um, and I think the great thing is, is that people who come from outside of New York come with a whole lot of dedication and then realize what that, what they've gotten themselves into is, is actually a really beautiful thing. So, uh, if, if, you know, as long as you're patient and, uh, and uh, enjoy, you know, working hard and being part of a good team, I think New York can be a fantastic, uh, can be a fantastic learning ground uh, and training ground to really become, you know, a restaurant professional. So, I mean, if there is a, a really cool wine culture in New York and, and that really comes to a broader fruition, uh, will the MS program, which is, you know, doing a lot of educational outreach and which seems to be more popular in New York today in terms of younger people entering it than it was maybe when I was here 10 years ago, um, how, how is that going to play out and is it making a difference already? I think it is making a difference already. Um, you know, you see uh, there's an amazing group of people in New York that over the next handful of years, um, you know, are, are going to pass that test. And, uh, you, and know, you recently passed. Yeah, yeah. No, that happened uh, earlier this year. And that was, I was congratulations. Happy, thank you. Happy and really relieved for that because it is a huge commitment. Um, and there's so many people in New York that are making that same commitment right now. So I think you'll see over the next couple of years, uh, the groundwork for that is already is already laid. And uh, the nice thing about that is, is that really the reason that people do that, you know, uh, is so that they can turn around and help other people achieve the same thing. So uh, you see uh, already uh, the MSs that are in New York are doing great work to help stoke that fire of uh, getting more people over that hump. And um, obviously the people that are uh, right at the doorstep are doing that great work as well. So, and I think that's great because, you know, one of the things that's really important there is, is that people understand that it's, uh, you know, it's uh, an overall knowledge of wine and it's all done to make the guest experience better. It's without any pretense, without any, um, you know, there's no, nothing hoity-toity about it. It's about making the guest feel good and about having a great wine culture. So I think at, at the end of the day, that's a great thing. Did you find that it in any way changed your own lens on how you looked at wine going through all the steps of the process to get the certification at the end? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, towards, towards the end of it, you know, um, you're just uh, you're uh, surrounding yourself with people that are in the exact same boat as you, you know, Yannick and Risto and Michelle and those guys. And, uh and you're, you know, nitpicking on uh, sugar levels and uh, aging requirements and must weights and all that kind of stuff. Once you 
get a chance to back off of that and, uh, you know, teach some of the more uh, entry-level classes, you see that um, it's really more about bringing people into the fold of, you know, loving wine, being passionate about wine, getting that wine bug, having that aha moment that we all have had, right? And then you set it up and hopefully get the structure. And then if they really want to take it to that nth degree and talk about must weights and things like that, then they can do that on their own. And so I guess what I'm getting at is this idea that, um, is this idea that, uh, we live in a pretty small bubble sometimes of people that, you know, sit around and talk about, uh, you know, 30 year old Chenin Blanc. Um, and, uh, and it's nice to be able to, to stick your head outside of that bubble every once in a while and remind yourself that there are a lot of people that just want to get in to the fold and, and just want to love wine and you want to give them the chance to do that. So one of the criticisms that's occasionally heard about the, the MS program is that uh, it trains people to stop being sommiers in a sense because the people who pass uh, subsequently often leave the floor. If it were true that uh, many more people were to come in if you were able to stoke that flame. And it does seem like there's more and more people in New York interested. Uh, would that stop happening? In other words, would those top end slots that uh, people leave the floor for uh, be already filled? And then you would start to see that high end level of expertise actually filtering onto the floor in a direct level? Well, you make a really good point. I mean, if you if the reason that uh, that someone's you know, taking that exam is because they want to get the hell off the floor, they're doing it for the wrong reason. Um, and chances are it's you know, that that's going to come back to, you know, that'll find them. They'll be found out. Or, uh, you know, because you've got to be doing it. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's pretty to, intense. Yeah. You've got to be doing it because you want to do it and you love to do it. Um, and uh, I think that uh, if you if you want to get off the floor, get off the floor. Um, and um, But I think that uh, I don't think that there's anything about the uh, MS exam that would encourage that. Um, and I think one great thing about it is, is that um, the more, you know, the more people that uh, that are a part of it, the, the more people that understand it, the more people that uh, become a part of it. Um, and it it gains some traction and people see that uh, that it really is a great program and it's a great, great uh, way to learn more about wine. Um, and obviously, there'll always be people that are in it for the wrong reasons. But I think the people who are in it for the right reasons are the ones that are really successful. You know, we talked a little bit before about having a wine list without fluff, with having a wine list where everything uh, had a place. As we see the development of more and more of those wine lists, is 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 that also uh, conjoined with the idea of a smaller list? Because it uh, because as you say, it is a lot of frogs to kiss to find the right wines. Is the time commitment involved in making a, a big list with no fluff so extensive uh, that the 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 level of team that you would need to have uh, has really become not unfeasible, but more unlikely. Well, you can come at it from the team point of view, but I think the uh, I think for me the one thing that really rings true is uh, you know why would you be buying uh, a bottle of uh, of eighty four such and such Bordeaux just so that you can say you have another vintage of it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just think that those days I just think that those days are over. You know, just to say that you have seventeen vintages of it. Well, how many of them do you actually want to drink? How many of them? are actually applicable to uh to the guest uh you know how many of them are well priced and a good value 
how many of them work with your with your dishes that are on the menu right now? So I think when you ask yourself those questions, it starts to tear apart some of those big lists pretty quickly. Um, the lists that are just big, just for the sake of being big. Now, I think the, the what the really smart goal would be is to have a really fantastic, all encompassing list that you can that that does answer all those questions. You know, that gives the best vintages, gives them for a good value, only if they're applicable to the menu. And uh, and if you do have a, a large program with a lot of wines on the list and you can answer all those questions and they all make sense in a certain application, then bravo, that's that's a beautiful thing. But I've always thought that, uh, you know, the the um, the list itself is just, you know, words on a page. You know, the thing that really makes it comforting, the thing that really makes it easy is a staff that's, a staff. that's excited and and interested and wants to share, you know, you know, wants to share that, you know, they tasted that wine yesterday or at lineup today and, and they tasted it with this dish, you know, and so they want to share that experience with you. And that's when the, what's written, you know, the printed words on the page get really exciting. You know, you can, you can twist and turn and make pretty graphics of, you know, great bunches and things like that all you want all day. But if, if there isn't someone behind that list that's passionate about it, that's on the floor, and that could be in the form of, uh, you know, a server, a manager, a sommelier, a wine director, whatever it might be, um, that's, when, that's when the list gets interesting. You know, you can, only, you can only get so far with formatting. And, and let's be honest, you can only get so far with formatting and choices. Um, because for you or I, if we walk into a, uh, a restaurant and you see, uh, you know, a list of choices, you can navigate that and you can say, oh, wow, that vintage of that, or, oh, that vineyard of that, or, oh, I can't believe they have that bottling. Whereas, um, you know, an, uh, I shouldn't say, you know, we'll say a lay person, if you will, somebody that's interested in wine, but doesn't do it 23 hours a day like we do, um, where they, they'll need somebody or, or they'll appreciate somebody to give them some of that insight. So uh, I think that's where it gets really interesting. It's interesting to me that you used a religious analogy because uh, sometimes I think, uh, at least in New York, where it's kind of like you know a shark environment in that if you stop, you're dead. Like you have to keep <laughs> moving. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it true that the, the wine side, although being really wonderful in the sense that you get to go to nice dinners – that it's really a twenty-four hour passion. Uh, that it's all encompassing of your of your whole thing. If you're going to succeed at a high level, well, I I don't know if it needs to be all encompassing, as in um, as in uh, preclude you from having any other interest in life or uh-huh, balance uh-huh. and that sort of thing. I think that I think that's actually really important is to have some sense of balance. And uh, is that something you guys look for? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to work with people that want to drink a beer every once in a while, <laughs> you know, rather than another glass of Chablis. Um, but uh, but at the same time, you do uh, – There, I think it is necessary that you have that passion. Then after working 12 or 14 hours, you go home and, well, what do you do? You crack open that book on Bordeaux and you read about that estate, you know, that that uh, bottle that you opened earlier tonight and you were really impressed with or and uh, you want to know more about. And so I think that, that that sort of curiosity and that sort of unending curiosity is, I think, is an important trait. And I see that, you know, I mean, gosh, it's uh, how many times does it happen to you or I where you, you are looking at a list and you say, I've never heard of that region or I've never heard of that producer. And, uh, or gosh, where did that grape come from? And so it's an unending thing. Uh, there's no point where you say, okay, I've learned it. I'm done. I got there. Um, and so you have to enjoy that process, I think. That's, that's, that's a necessity, to be sure. 
a lot of people I've talked to on this on this program who are in the business professionally have had kind of aha moments where uh, wine really spoke to them uh, in some in some way, and it uh, propelled their own motivation to get more involved. If you were talking to a layperson and you uh, wanted them to have a similar experience to that, what's the best way that they could just stumble into it? What's the best way that they could have an aha moment uh, without knowing beforehand that it was going to be that way? Wow. So uh, how do you get people to stumble into an aha moment? Uh, well, I think, you know, probably first and foremost is to listen to what they have to say. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, and I mean, it goes, you know, it's been said over and over again, but because it's true, is uh, you obviously you cannot uh, just uh, overlay your likes and dislikes onto someone else's uh, dinner or experience. So uh, once you know you really listen to that, I guess uh, going back to that idea of if if they want to drink uh, if they want to drink uh, California Sauvignon Blanc, uh, let's find the absolute best example of it we can. If they want to drink, um, if they want to drink Sancerre, let's find the absolute best example of it we can. And really being proud to stand behind all the wines that are on your list for one reason or another, um, or for multiple reasons, really. Um, and I think that's the best way to get to an aha moment, I think, is because you want to be proud of everything you have on the list. It's got to be there for a reason. It's got to work with the food. It's got to be a good value at one level or another. And uh, if you're really proud of all those wines, then... Um, then I think the aha moments will will happen. They'll come. Uh, and if you, you know, if you, like we said before, if you kiss a lot of frogs trying to find the exact right glass of wine with that dish and you taste 10, 15, 20 different wines before you say, let's serve this with this because I experienced it and for me it was an aha moment rather than, oh, I read in a book that this goes well with this. You know, you've got to live it. You've got to, you know, uh, you've got to have that uh, experience yourself before you can expect other people to enjoy that experience. John Reagan, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us all a little bit about how you got there and what we can all do to be a little bit more knowledgeable about wine. Thank you, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.